Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, throughout man's history, uh, nations have risen to power and fallen, yet the kingdom of God has remained unshaken. And I submit to you that this is not coincidence, it is providence. Uh, long ago, King Nebuchadnezzar came to the uh, realization that God rules in the kingdom of men. And as God was in control then, so he is still in control now. And thus it behooves us to remember uh, that the eyes in our heads can't see things that the eyes of faith can. The eyes of faith appreciate that our lot is not determined nor dictated by our circumstances. Thus, rather than fret about the condition that our world is in, uh, we ought to give ourselves to prayer because God still reigns in the kingdom of men. Uh, back in Psalm 9, verse number 20, the psalmist declared, put them in fear, Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men, and while we certainly ought to pray that the nations uh, would know themselves to be but men in the church, we need to remember that uh, as well. And to remember that uh, whatever the circumstances may be, it is well with our souls and God is in control. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again this morning to the text that was read into our hearing there in John chapter five. Uh, we want to read again there in John five, verse number seven. John five, verse seven in your Bibles, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Based on the account here recorded for us by John, we want to use this morning as a subject, I have no one to help me. Now, remember for the month of March, we're going to be operating from uh, the sub theme things Jesus did. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in John chapter five, I, I submit to you that we are more blessed than we often appreciate and more blessed than we will sometimes even acknowledge. For all that there are times that we may grumble, there is always someone in a more severe circumstance than we are who would love to trade places. Think about this current pandemic. There, there are some, and I would venture that we probably all are, uh, sick and tired of safe at home. But I submit to you that we would do well to appreciate that there are those in nursing homes and rehabilitation centers and hospitals uh, that don't receive regular visits from family and friends 
and would find even safe at home to be a step up uh, from their present situation. When we look at John chapter five, this man is in my estimation, a special case. He says, when confronted by Jesus, effectively, I have no one to help me. I, I, I think it would be, we would be hard pressed to find a more disheartening or a more depressing statement about life. But let me say further that I, I believe we would be hard pressed to find a statement that was more inaccurate. And I say this not because I lack sympathy for the rigors of this man's reality, but because in his despondency and in his unawareness of whom it was that was speaking to him, he missed the fact that a greater help than he realized was standing before him. Now, I, I wanna say at the very outset uh, of this message that man is never truly alone except by his own choice. God offers us uh, the privilege, the blessing to be reconciled to him in the person of Christ Jesus. And to that end, in Hebrews 13 and verse number five, the Bible declares, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If ever there is distance between man and God, uh, may we ever acknowledge that man is the cause of the separation. Now, let me say that loneliness, whatever the cause of the feeling, has to be discouraging and debilitating. And, and you never wanna make light of someone else's pain. Try to imagine the lot of this man. He has suffered from this illness, whatever it was, for 38 years. And when I read 38 years, I you know, did the math, and uh, this would take us back to the year 1983. And, and the minute I thought 1983, uh, a bell went off with me because that was the year that I graduated high school. And you know, my first thought was, whoa, man, has it been that long? I, I know people that aren't even 38 years old. But, but imagine being 38 years afflicted with this infirmity. I, I, I know in, in 38 years, and, and, and if you're not yet 38, then from whenever you were born till now, but, but in the last 38 years, mobility has played a great part in my living. I, I think about how different my life would be in the absence of mobility. I, I think, you know, we take mobility for granted, just, just being able to get out and, and play with the kids or the grandkids, just, just, just being able to get out of bed and, and go where I want, when I want. And, and, and I submit to you that even if you're getting around with a limp, uh, 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 that given the choice, all of us would choose limping over not being able to move uh, at all. This infirmity that this man has, whatever it was, 
prevented him from being able to get down into the water quickly enough in the absence of help. And I would venture that not only was there a sense of frustration from his physical inability, but this infirmity would have taken a heavy psychological toll as well. And it's easy, based solely on the consideration of his circumstances, to see his case as hopeless. Now, let me say here also, uh, that it's easy to be strong in someone else's struggle. I, I know there are those of us that read the text and we talk about what this man coulda, shoulda did. You know, it, it's always easy to be strong when somebody else has to do the suffering. It, it's easier to give advice to the sufferer than it is to suffer oneself. But I submit to you that the, the true measure of my faith is how it holds up when it's my turn to go into the furnace. See, we can tell people, you know, in their distress, you need to have faith, you need to pray, you need to trust God, you need to wait on the Lord. And, and all of those things are true. I, I don't wanna make light of any of that, but may we remember that all that is true about God when you struggle is still true about God when I struggle. And, and the word from Solomon in Proverbs 24, verse 10, he says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, now your adversity, not somebody else's, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. See, the measure of my faith is not how I counsel you in your time of adversity, but how I respond in my time of adversity. And when I read John chapter five, I, I thank God that he has spared me from being in this man's extremity. But I would venture that all of us have, have had a tense moment of two uh, in our own living. Uh, you know, one of those moments where we pray because we believe that God is able to do, but we have to face the humbling reality that simply because God is able to do, doesn't mandate that he will. Have you ever been in one of those cases where, where you've got something extreme going on, but God hadn't told you what he's going to do? Now, now I know what I want you to do. At least I know what I think I want you to do. But, but simply because I pray for it doesn't mean that God is obliged to do it. When we look at John chapter 5, John asked, uh, Jesus rather, asked this man uh, a seemingly odd question. He, he asked the man effectively, do you wish to get well? Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I read the text, it seems to me that that's the reason he was at the pool in the first place. You know, based on what John says, I, I don't think the pool was the place you went to hang out because it was the hub of social activity. And, and, and you know, let me go down to the pool and see what's going on. I, I believe that that's the whole reason that he was there. But when we look at the question that Jesus asked, could consider the question a little closer. Jesus didn't ask the man, uh, are you unhappy with your life in life? He asked him, do you wish to get well? Now, this hadn't anything to do really with his lot in life because 
the fact that I'm unhappy with my circumstances doesn't mean uh, uh, that I'm willing to do what I can or what's necessary to be in a better case. See, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? And, and the question runs deeper than just healing him of his sickness. I, I, I submit to you that Jesus recognizes the place of human will in trying to help a person. And, and by that, I mean to say that you can't really help me if I'm not willing to receive your help. And in receiving your help, there may be some things that I need to do for myself. Which brings us to the first consideration. Look with me again there in John 5 at verse number six. When Jesus saw him lie or laying there and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Do you wish to get well? Our first consideration this morning, if we are to be helped, is that there must be a willingness to overcome the comfort of our condition. Now, now someone may ask, if my circumstances are unfavorable, how can there be any comfort in my condition? And, and, and I answer that this way. See, that my circumstances are unfavorable doesn't mean that change won't be uncomfortable. See, just because I don't like where I am doesn't mean that it's easy to get somewhere else. See, healing this man necessitates that he be willing to make some changes. Changes like what? Well, well, are you willing to get a job and give up your identity as a victim? See, when you can't move, it's all right for you to lay there by the pool, but, but if I heal you and you can move, then you don't need to be begging. You need to find some way to provide uh, uh, for yourself. Are you willing to get a job and give up your identity as a victim? You know, it's not unheard of that a person not like suffering, but find gratuity in being known as a sufferer. See, Jesus is asking this man, are you willing to go from being pitied to being held accountable? And, and you know, there, there, there are times when we just need to be open to some honest self-examination. See, if I'm in an unfavorable condition, if, then I need to give some serious thought to, am I willing to do what I can to help it get better? See, some people are comfortable with complaining. Now, they don't like necessarily what's going on, but they're comfortable just complaining about it. And, and as long as I can complain, I'm not going to do anything to help myself get better. See, Jesus understands how human will factors into this thing and, and what we need and what we're willing to do uh, uh, about the need don't always agree. Do you remember the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? Do you remember he came to Jesus? Now, now Jesus didn't go to him. He came to Jesus and, and he had three questions. You remember he asked Jesus first, good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, uh, uh, or rather Jesus says, keep the commandments. And then the young man asked him a second question, which, meaning which of the commandments? Which commandments are you talking about? 
And so Jesus says, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, or honor your mother and father. And the young man says, well, I've done all of these things since I was a little boy. And then the third question he asked, what do I lack yet? He, he's, he's effectively asking Jesus, what do I need? And Jesus answers his question. Jesus said, well, you know, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, you know the account there in Matthew chapter 19. The young man deferred to give up the comfort of his condition. And, and, and I don't mean he, he didn't want to give up the luxuries of being rich, and, and, and that might well be true. But what this young man was unwilling to do is he was unwilling to make the necessary changes to improve his lot in life. And, and you know, sometimes that's where we are, that there must be a willingness to overcome the comfort of our condition. Maybe I take comfort in just being able to complain about where I am. Maybe there, there's some kind of gratuity for me in, in being able to sing the blues, but, but if I really want the Lord to help me, then I must be willing to do what I can to help myself. And then look further with me there in, in John chapter five. In, in verse number seven, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He says effectively, I have no one to help me. But I submit to you that if we are going to be helped, uh, uh, then we must look to a better and higher help than man. And appreciate when I say this, that it includes self. Do you remember the words of Solomon there in Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6? He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Now, if I want to be helped, not only do I have to stop looking to other people to be my help, and God may use them in the equation, but, but God is my help. I also have to stop thinking that I'm the answer to my own problems. When we look at John chapter five, this lame man's outlook was based on what he could perceive. Now, who knows what possibilities are eliminated when we restrict ourselves to what we can see? Look at what he saw. I have nobody to help me. Well, who is this you talking to? I, I don't know who he is. Well, guess what? Then he might be able to help you. If you are trusting only in what you know, then who knows what possibilities that you're missing? When we look at this man's answer, the, the man's answer to Jesus's question is fraught with helplessness and hopelessness. And it is inferred in his answer that some of those in search of healing were not in as bad a case as he was. You know, while I'm trying to get down to the pool, somebody goes uh, uh, in front of me. Now, don't we like to compare misery sometimes? Don't, don't we like to sing the blues to see whose blue is the bluest? You know, if somebody comes in and talks about 
uh, 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 you know, some injury they suffered. And then somebody has to top that injury with the injury that they suffered that was worse than that injury. Sometimes we like to get together and compare sorrows. But it's also inferred in his answer that there were people helping others, but no one would help him. I have no one to help me. Uh, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like I, I have no one to help me, that there is no one to talk to, that, that there's no one that understands, there's no one that cares? And, and isn't it ironic that while this man is declaring that he has no one to help him, he's talking, albeit unknowingly, he's talking to the very one that can do more than he's able to imagine. And, and, and the point is that we are never alone and never beyond being helped. See, I may feel alone and I may not see my help, but may we embrace the fact that truth is not constituted by feelings or sight. See, just because I feel alone doesn't mean that I am. See, I, I might just be like this, this, this man here in John 5. I, he didn't appreciate who it was that he was talking to. See, what it looks like is not necessarily how it is. Do you remember the words of the apostle in 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 and 17? You remember that Paul was, was made to stand trial before Caesar? In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul says, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Isn't that typical of people? Everybody in your ear talking about what you should do, what you ought to say. And then when the chips are down, nobody can be found. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. But then watch what he says in verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now notice what Paul said, when everybody ran off, the Lord stood with me. And do you know that wasn't the first time that God stood with somebody when everybody else had run off? Do you know that God in the flesh had experienced that himself? Do you remember in Gethsemane when they came to arrest him that all the disciples fled? Now, I know Peter followed at a distance, and John was there at the, uh, uh, at the palace later on, too. But, but even God in the flesh knew what it was like to have everybody run off and leave you. But what Paul says is true. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. See, you may feel all alone, but, but, but open up the eyes of faith and understand that there might not be anybody standing with me that I can see but I am never truly all alone. And, and for all we know, it may be the case that God has, allow, uh, has to allow me to get in deep enough to realize that I need him. You know, sometimes we think we can handle certain problems. We think we have the answer uh, 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 to certain issues. Uh, we don't have the answer to anything. Everything we do is by the enabling grace of God. And maybe God is just allowing me to go through what I'm going through to open my eyes to the fact that I need him. 
And then third this morning, there in, uh, from verse number eight, Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. I submit to you that if we are to be helped, we must not be defeated by the improbability of doubt. Now, I submit to you that if the question asked by Jesus sounded strange, the command here in verse eight was outrageous. This man hadn't walked for 38 years. You know, I, I think walking is one of those blessings we take for granted uh, 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 every morning. But you know, as you get older, you start to appreciate what a blessing it is to be able to walk. You, you ever watch a kid get, get up, maybe they sitting down or lying down. You know, children are turned getting up almost in, into an athletic event. You know, they, they'll bounce up, they'll, they'll roll over, they'll do a flip, they'll get up and skip on their merry way. Well, you know, as you get older, uh, 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 you know, some of the entertainment goes out of walking being a blessing. Uh, as you get older, you're just glad to be able to get from point A to point B. But, but, but think about what Jesus says to this man. For 38 years, he has not walked. And not only does Jesus say walk, but Jesus says, I want you to pick up that pallet you've been lying on and carry that while you're walking. Really? I haven't walked in 38 years. I, I should, you, you know, when you get up in the morning, I don't know about you. I don't bounce out of bed at, at full tilt. Uh, you know, I, I, I get up and, and, and I don't thank God I don't have any trouble getting around. But, but I try to be careful when I get up. 38 years he hadn't walked. And Jesus tells him, get up, pick your bed up and walk away from here. God commands us to do the improbable. Maybe you would say seemingly impossible. Do you remember the commandment of Jesus, Matthew 5, 44? Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, don't gloss by that. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, now, what did Jesus command there? I, I, I tell you, what he commanded was improbable. Love your enemies. Do you know someone, and, and, and you know, if this wasn't polite company, if, if this wasn't a church group, I could just say it like we would say it otherwise. Uh, you know, if, if I could just talk freely, I, I'd say, do you know somebody you just don't like? But, but, but you know, we, 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 we know the word of God and we know we're supposed to love everybody. And at least we know how to talk right when other Christians are listening. You know, we would probably say uh, uh, we know somebody that's difficult to get along with. Well, but well, tell yourself the truth in your own mind. Jesus commands us to love that person. Now, I know from verse 48 that loving that person is akin to what God does for each one of us. So loving that person that's difficult to get along with doesn't mean smiling and waving from a distance. You know, I'm glad God don't treat me like that. I'm glad God don't say, well, you know, you're just difficult to get along with and it's just probably best for me to leave you alone. Now, I'm not saying that may not be the prudent course of action in, in, in certain situations, 
But if you know if you know a lot of difficult people, if you know a lot of people you just got to wave at because uh, uh, they hard to get along with, then maybe the problem isn't everybody else. When we talk about loving your enemies, it, it doesn't mean a hug or a handshake that's inconsistent with what I'm thinking. You know, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. When we talk about loving your enemies, it, it means having their best interest at heart and working to that end. You remember what the Bible says, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, when God gave Jesus, we weren't at the point where we realized we were wrong and, and wanted to do what we could to make it better. God gave his son while the world was still in rebellion to his will. Now, when Jesus says, love your enemies, what he's telling us is I want you to do for your enemies in Matthew 5, 44, what God did for you in John 3, 16. Now, when you stop and think about it that way, when somebody say, love your enemies, then my first thought is, Lord, have mercy. See, I, I'm gonna need the power of God for, for, for that one. But appreciate that God so commands us, not just because it's right, but so that we will know that it's him. You know, sometime when we're talking, we will let people know that I am where I am by the grace and power of God. You ever made one of those statements, you know, if you had said that to me before I became a Christian, or, or if you had done that when I wasn't too long out of the water, this thing would have played out differently. Do you know what you're telling us when you say that? God has been merciful to me. He has spared me and he's working in me and I'm able to do now what I wasn't able to do before, but it's not because of me, it's because of him. See, to perform the will of God, I need to be empowered by the might of God. Do you remember what Paul said, Philippians 4, verse 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. See, what Paul was saying is, there are some things that look improbable. There are some things that look seemingly impossible. But I can do all things by the strength that Christ Jesus puts in me. Do you know as we navigate through life, no matter what we face, that God will give us the ability to be faithful to him in any circumstance if we are willing to be helped by him. See, we're the wild card in the equation. God is able. The question is, will we cooperate? Will we allow God to work in us so that it works out after his will? See, sometimes we just stubborn. We want God to work in us, but Lord, I wanna tell you how I want you to work in me. Well, we don't get to choose how God works. Our job is to be a vessel that God works through, not to be the dictator that tells God how, the, uh, how he ought to work. Do you know that's why so many have rejected salvation? Because they are unwilling to be a vessel that God works through. They wanna be in a position where they tell God how he must save. Well, we're the ones in need of help, not God. Jesus is Lord, whatever we may say. 
God is in control, whether we acknowledge that or not. And when it comes to salvation, if we want God to help us, then God requires that we hear the good news that Christ Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, but raised the third day for our justification. In Romans 10, 17, the Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, John 8, verse 24. We must be willing to repent of sin, Acts 17, verses 30 through 31. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, Matthew 10, verse 32. And then be baptized in water for the remission of sins. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, Peter declares the life figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Notice what Peter says. It's, it's an act of obedience that takes advantage of the grace and mercy of God. And when we go down into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus, indwells us with his spirit, and he adds us to the church. And the command when we come up out of the waters of baptism is that we live obediently. In Romans 6 and verse 4 in your Bible, Paul says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. God requires that we walk in a new way. It had to be a sad thing to hear that man say, I have no one to help me. But thank God he was wrong and God was gracious and merciful and showed him what help was available. May we never be of the mind that I have no one to help me. God is always ready, willing, and able if we will submit ourselves to his will. Perhaps you're listening to this message and you want to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Then we bid you reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net and provision will be made today to baptize you into Christ Jesus so that you can receive the help that is only found in Jesus of Nazareth. At this time, we'll have uh, the song of invitation.